Do you want to see a live recording of It's All Journalism? Then come by the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. on Monday, December 11th at 6.30 p.m. You can find out more about this free event at itsalljournalism.com and on our Facebook page. And in that realm, we're looking at things that the audience could type or talk with. So somebody who comes to Quartz or another media organization. But we're also looking at bots that journalists can type or talk with to help them do their jobs. We all know about those bots that try to sway voters and pester you on social media. But it turns out that not all bots are bad. I'm Michael O'Connell, and you're listening to It's All Journalism. On the phone with me today is John Keefe. He's the head of Quartz's Bot Studio. Welcome back to the podcast, John. Thank you. Okay, so now I say welcome back. You were actually on our podcast in the early days, uh, way back in October of uh, 2012. I think it was our eighth episode. Back then, you were at WNYC. What have you been doing with yourself since then? I've been working at Quartz. I moved over to Quartz in March. We're at QZ.com, financial news website for folks who aren't familiar with us, covering the global economy. And I am working in the bot studio. Quartz has a bot studio. We're doing research and experiments on bots. And uh, it's kind of an extension of the experimentation that Quartz has been doing for a while. And they had an opening to do that kind of work. And I thought I couldn't pass that up. Okay, so let me let me ask you a dumb question to start with. What is a bot and, and how are people using them in newsrooms? So we define a bot in a couple of different ways. One way, and probably the big focus of what we've been focusing on, is software that you can talk to. So that would be chat bots, things you can type with, but also voice bots like Alexa and Google Home, things you actually speak to. And then also the artificial intelligence and code that sort of go behind that. So that's kind of what we've been exploring. There are also other, obviously, different definitions of bots in this world, uh, including things that will do tasks for you, automation. Of course, we've been talking about bots, like Twitter bots and Facebook bots, and the run-up to last year's election. So there's a lot of different ways you can define bots. But for us, we're really exploring bots you can talk with or type with. And in that realm, we're looking at things that the audience could type or talk with. So somebody who comes to Quartz or another media organization. But we're also looking at bots that journalists can type or talk with to help them do their jobs. Okay. So, you know, I I have an Alexa, so I kind of know how to deal with that and, you know, trying to get to to speak to it in a way that's going to give me information that I want. So when you say... You know, here's something that that journalists are going to be able to talk to or type with. How is this going to help me in my in my journalism, in my reporting, in my data gathering? Yeah, so um, that's a really good question. We have started out looking at ways that we could help journalists here at Quartz, and 
a lot of journalists around the country uh, in the U.S. and certainly here at Quartz uh, use Slack. And Slack is a uh, platform you can have. It's almost like different chat rooms. There are channels where you can talk to a colleague and work with work on stories, work on beats all together. And it turns out that Slack is also a really great platform for building bots. So a person on your team could actually be a bot. Slack comes with a very simple Slack bot that will offer to remind you about things and can be really helpful for things like that. And so we started looking into what could we do in Slack in the Quartz newsroom to make things easier for our journalists. What would they like to be able to do in Slack, mainly because they live there pretty much all day anyway. And then we thought, okay, if we can come up with a few things that would be super useful, wouldn't that be great to share with other journalists? So actually last week at the Online News Association meeting, we announced that we had released this thing called Quackbot. And Quackbot is a little bot with a duck icon that lives in your Slack team. And the idea is to bring some more tools specifically for journalists right into Slack. And initially, QuackBot is pretty simple. Uh, we really wanted to work on getting it operational and making sure that it was secure. We're teaming up with Document Cloud to host and manage the bot itself. So when you sign up or when your organization signs up, uh, you actually sign up through your Document Cloud account. But then the bot itself can do right now four very simple things, including take a screenshot of a website. It will also <laughs> scan a web page for cliches. That's something we made for fun here at Quartz and we thought we'd add it. And in the coming weeks, it's going to get even more sophisticated to do things like monitor a web page for you. So say that you have a governmental web page and you want to know when that the text on that page changes. You can just ask Quackbot to watch this page for you and it will let you know in Slack if something changes. That's actually a really great example because there are really good tools for doing that online, including Klaxon from the Marshall Project and others. So there are ways that journalists do that now, but we think that bringing that into the Slack platform, bringing other tools into the Slack platform so journalists everywhere without any coding knowledge whatsoever can use them is, is kind of a cool way to go. Yeah, and we use um, Slack here in our office internally. I know there are other newsrooms that, that, that set up connections with multiple newsrooms and you know, journalists can share information. I've heard about the people doing that. But for us, it's it's been this really remarkable tool that's that's developed around our workflow and is really useful for us in communicating just, you know, where we are in the writing process, who's editing what, you know, it, it's extremely useful. So for us, it's, that's a natural environment for tools that could come in and, and help us improve that process or add something something different to it. Now, you know, I was looking at this this article, I think it was Neiman had done about talking about the, the work that Court, Court Studio was doing. And they mentioned that Keith Collins, who's a, a tech reporter and developer at Quartz, created a bot called At Actual Ransom to help his reporting. Can, can you talk a little bit about the development of that and what he was using it for? 
Yeah, so you'll remember uh, a little bit ago there was the WannaCry ransomware malware that went around and knocked out a whole bunch of systems, especially in the UK, but lots of different places. And the way this attack worked was to put pop up a window, first of all, encrypt your drive and pop up a window and say, hey, you have been encrypted. In order to decrypt your computer, you need to pay uh, a ransom. And that ransom was in Bitcoin. And the interesting thing about Bitcoin is that all of the Bitcoin wallets, so like the place you would actually go to deposit that ransom, they're all publicly visible. So you can actually see when money is going into an account, basically, or into a wallet. And there were three wallets associated with the WannaCry ransomware. And Keith found himself just kind of watching those three wallets and then converting them into dollars and seeing how many people were actually, how much money was actually being paid in actual ransom to these accounts. And then he realized that it would be much easier to program some code to watch those accounts for him. But in kind of a cool move, what he did is not just watch those accounts and then let him know what was going on, but he created a Twitter bot. Like you said, it was at actual ransom. And the Twitter bot was actually watching all three accounts and when somebody would put money into it, it would tweet about it and it would convert it to dollars and it would also aggregate all three accounts. So you didn't have to, there wasn't a different bot for each account. It was aggregating the amounts. So that was, I mean, that was interesting in and of itself. And it got a little bit of a following, especially among people who are watching this story, who are interested in cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, who are dealing with even covering or, or dealing with themselves this, this ransomware attack. But the really interesting thing happened was when one evening the bot reported that money had been taken out of the account. So this is something that some researchers had said they thought wouldn't actually happen, that the criminals behind this attack wouldn't go and potentially expose themselves by going to withdraw the money. But sure enough, they started withdrawing the money. And the Twitter bot caught it right away and tweeted out that money was being taken out of this account presumably by the people who had created this ransomware. Well, that was news. And in fact, the bot broke the story. It was watching the, the accounts and broke the story. Yeah, Keith did a story right away, but so did a lot of other people. But really, the scoop goes to the bot. So as opposed to the reporter, that was your uh, your bot reporter was the one who, who jumped on that story and uh, you, you ended up uh, following after it. And actually, you know, all these other news outlets, may, they may have been able to beat you to, to press, but in actuality, you guys had gotten it first. Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting twist, right? Something, a bot that Keith made. So Keith is a reporter who also knows how to code. So he's a developer too. So this Quartz thing broke the story and gets credit for it as the as the one with the scoop. But yeah, Keith himself wrote the story afterward. Now, you talked about this suite of uh, tools that Quartz had put out. They announced at the at an ONA, the Slack tools. So how can people use them? Do they uh, just download them into their Slack and then they have one of the developers develop something out of it? So 
What's really, really cool about this is that there are no developers necessary in this process. That is actually the goal. It turns out, and your audience probably knows this, but the world of journalist programmers is a really cool and sharing world, actually, for being a competitive lot. We also like to help each other out. So a lot of times when there will be a big story that a developer has coded and worked on, after the story drops, the code will end up online somewhere in, in, in their GitHub accounts or other places and where they will actually share it. We did this at WNYC, we do this here at Quartz, where we make tools to help cover stories and then we put them out there for other developers to use. The problem with that is that in order to use the uh, most of them, you have to have a developer in your newsroom or have access to somebody and or even if you do have a developer in the in the newsroom, you need they need to have the resources and time and know how to you know implement a tool. And on the other side, if you do make a tool like that, then you have to sort of support it for folks. What's happening now is that we've created this Quackbot that all you have to do to have Quackbot in your Slack team is either have or sign up for a document cloud account. And then you, you have to have access to your Slack in such a way that you can add bots or be friends with the person on your Slack team who, who has the authorization to add a bot to your Slack. And that's it. And then suddenly the tools that we are that we have in, in Quackbot right now and are going to be adding over time, they will become available to everybody who has the Slackbot as part of their team. So it's really designed for journalists to do their daily routines more easily and better. Not necessarily to make other bots per se, but in order to do things more easily. A, a great example of this, which will be coming in the coming weeks, is that Document Cloud, which is also our partner on this, offers a service where you can put PDFs online and they can be annotated and they can do lots of it's an incredibly useful tool. The process for going to upload your documents is a few steps and you have to have an, your account, know your password and do all of these things. And then you upload it and you get embed code. And with that embed code, you could put it on the web in your CMS. What we're going to do is we're going to streamline that. So instead of having to go to document cloud and finding your password and whatnot, you can actually just draw, drag a PDF to Quackbot, send it, send basically a direct message to Quackbot, which is your PDF. And Quackbot will say, hey, do you want to make this public online? And you say yes. And then it says, okay, I did that. Here is the embed code. And that's where the ease is going to come, right? Yes, you could go to Document Cloud and figure that out. But I will tell you, as somebody who worked in a newsroom and was known for the, as the guy who could put PDFs online, even people who had access to it couldn't remember what the URL was or how exactly to do it or what their password was. Now, very soon at least, you'll be able to just ask Quackbot to do that for you. That's how we're trying to make it easier. For those developers out there who are in newsrooms and want to put their tools into Quackbot, we're totally open to that. And we're welcoming people who are those tool-making coders out there to help us make Quackbot even better.
And it's all free, by the way. We're doing this together with Document Cloud. It's grant-funded. It's uh, free to journalists. And um, so it, it's something that we feel like we can give to the community from our bot studio. Okay. Yeah. I was the next question I was going to ask, and I think you just kind of answered it because I'm cynical. Is like, what are you guys getting out of it? But I guess you're doing it because you have a grant, and it's and it's good for journalism. And yeah. I mean, it's something as somebody who has worked in public radio and seen that sometimes at a small news operation, the person who is handling the backend code may also be, you know, somebody who's an on-air reporter. I mean, oftentimes resources aren't available to folks. And so if we can bring some of this collective experience and skill and, and code into the newsroom really easily just by adding a bot to Slack, I just think that that's pretty great. And I, I won't lie, we like to develop extra tools to make our, our jobs easier here at Quartz, too. We have a lot of Slack bots that I think we can poured over. So even the process of experimenting in this space is just good for us. Yeah, I had uh, Zach Seward on the podcast a while back. And, and one of the things he talked about, uh, one of the things he was actually kind of really proud about Quartz being able to do is to developing these tools and then putting them out there to share them. And uh, that's kind of a, something they built a reputation around. And then so actually turning around and creating this bot studio seem like a, an extension of that, sort of a next step. Yeah, absolutely. And we're doing this the same kind of research for outwardly facing bots too. So I consider QuackBot to be sort of an inwardly facing bot because it's by journalists for journalists. But in the realm of putting our bots into things like Facebook Messenger or Alexa or your phone and SMS or in our app, that's another area that we're looking into. And those, in those areas, you know, in our app, for example, we, we sell advertising, you know, that's part of the experience. It's an experiment, but it's, it's also something we're looking at as possible other ways to provide news and information to our audience in a way that would, that meets them where they are in the experience of their daily lives. And so along the way, as we're experimenting with that, we're posting what we learn on our blog, which is bots.qz.com. And Emily Withrow, who is our bot editor, and I primarily are posting these findings, the results of our experiments. We're going to be posting about kind of a, a failure. We, we had a very interesting sort of internal experiment with an Alexa idea that everybody was really into, but nobody ever thought they would go back to once they had done once. Uh, so we'll be writing about that soon and just sharing out what we're learning along the way as we're trying to figure out how to use conversational interfaces for news, for feature stories and, and, and for deeper dives. Yeah, the first time I, I um, encountered a, a bot like this, or one of the ones you described, was I was at the Association of Alternative News Media's conference, and they there was somebody there who had developed a, a bot for Facebook Messenger that uh, allowed you to sort of push notifications out through your through your Facebook Messenger. So if you know if you have a weekly newsletter. You know, you encourage people to to join you know join you on Messenger, and then that the newsletter would show up there every week, and that's actually what what happened. Now I get I get my uh, AAN 
newsletter every week. It's pushed out through uh, Facebook Messenger. So it's just a different way. And the, the advantage of that from a business standpoint is, you know, there's a lot of information you as a business person can get from Facebook Messenger about the people who are uh, who are following you. <laughs> yeah. And the push notification aspect of it is actually really compelling. I subscribe to a couple of news bots on Messenger where I get a morning report, you know, and it comes in and I can take a look at that. I sus- subscribe to another one that is a, a weather bot. And so and there are a lot of news organizations playing with this as a another way to get their existing content, their articles and videos out to to their audiences, which is a completely valid way to go about it. Another way to consider it is to see how we might use the ability to interact with somebody on a chat type level to tell a story or to share an experience or provide some very sort of specific, almost news adventure. And that's the kind of thing we're looking at right now. We're trying to figure out what might work. And we have a couple of plans for uh, projects that we should be rolling out in the next few weeks that are absolutely experiments, but they're going to be public facing and sort of new approaches that could really work nicely or could be completely disastrous. We're not quite sure, but I'm excited for them. It's interesting when when you see this sort of technology in the in the space where you're engaging with your audience, you know, like in Messenger or in Facebook. Like when when Facebook Live really launched and became big, I mean, one of the things a lot of newsrooms saw was, you know, here they are creating content and interacting in that space in a, in a live space, and that really kind of affected the way the story developed. And, and it's kind of exciting to see things like that as we're sort of exploring these new corners of the internet where we were actually involved in, in conversations with our audience. I think that's kind of exciting as a as a news person. Now, where do you see, you know, looking forward, you know, where do you see bots in the newsroom? How, where, where do you anticipate things growing and changing? Yeah, it's a great question. I think that the conversational interface in our lives is not going away and will only get bigger. I also have Alexa at home. I also have two kids. And there's no friction between the kids and their use of a device that they talk to. It's fascinating to see them get information, listen to music, play games, all by talking to their to this puck on the table. And I myself have run into situations where I feel like I should be able to talk to a device. And I was driving and uh, the Google Maps turn-by-turn directions was on on my phone. And I, you know, I didn't quite hear the last direction. And I wanted to say, you know, hey, can you repeat that? <laughs> like, what was that? What turn was that? To be able to talk to this information system. So I think conversational interfaces in our lives are only going to get more prominent. As for news, I think we're going to need to be figuring out what that means for us. What situations does a conversational interface work for? But also I think that I, I have a real sense that the... AI and machine learning that is sort of 
not only going into bots, but just in it being, it being used more and more by many industries, will actually come to journalists in addition to journalism. So we've heard about stories where earnings report stories are being written by bots or AI automatically, right? There's no humans involved or, or very few humans, maybe an editor giving it a glance. And there are lots of examples of that. But I'm particularly interested in how machine learning and AI can be used to help journalists do their job. I am just recently, I saw that ProPublica had used machine learning to go find out using press releases from members of Congress, which topics were most interesting to each member of Congress and uniquely interesting to them, given the corpus of press releases that they've put out. You know, that's interesting because... To go as a human and read all of those press releases and try to discern that would be impossible. But using machine learning, you can actually figure that out and you can see some of the interesting angles and maybe help you do stories. So I think this sort of augmentation of, of journalism using machine learning and AI to sift through the massive you know, data and text that's out there in the world could actually be incredibly useful. Maybe you get an alert in Slack or somewhere that says, hey, something interesting has happened. Go check it out. And then the reporter is off on a story. I think that that, that will be in our not-too-distant future. And um, I think it will happen long before this notion that robots will replace us. So at least for a while, maybe we'll get along with them first. Well, anything we can do to... Um help with the rise of the machines and hasten the arrival of Judgment Day so that the, the Terminators will be here, I'm all for. Ah. Um, but no, <laughs> d did you... Now, I know that you gave a presentation on Saturday morning at, at O&A. Did you, did you get a chance to catch any of Amy Webb's talk about the future of journalism? So unfortunately, I was indeed preparing for my yeah. uh, workshop. Amy is a dear friend. I have all of her materials, and yeah. I, I, I'm slowly getting through them all. So unfortunately, no, but it's usually the highlight of my week or the weekend yeah. at ONA. Yeah, no, and, and I know that they have posted the video, and I've shared the video with some, some people in my office, and, and, uh, and I'll try to include a link with this. And it's pretty interesting because one of the things she talked about was how quickly AI is developing, and you know, devices like Alexa that are the the machine learning around conversation and what that means for newsrooms in, you know, five, 10 years. You know, I think we like the mouse and like the keyboard and how we interface right now with, with our computer and the screen and, and reading it. I think as we become more comfortable with these devices with different things, not even just these speakers, but, or computers, but, you know, you know, our toaster talking to us as we become more used to, you know, gaining this information and conversing with the, the machines. And then you add on top of that, the speed of, you know, machine learning and being able to find some of the information like you're talking about and breaking news that, you know, we'll be conversing with this machinery to tell us a lot of our news and not, and not even just news, just about everything that we get through the day. I mean, imagine you, you sort of touched on it, the, uh, you know, the interface that we have now, if we're able to talk to, 
you know, Google Maps to tell us, you know, oh, uh, what turn do I need to go to or, you know, um, what's going on with traffic down the road. Being able to do all of that without ever looking at a screen, without ever actually interfacing with anything but our voice in our ears. I think that's going to be revolutionary and change the way our lives are, the way the Internet and uh, digital technology has changed us so far. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that there are going to be challenges. There are going to be things that we're going to have to think about. I mean, the fact that so many people now get their news not directly from a news website or uh, some other place, but through these other companies like Google and Facebook and Twitter, that is all stuff that needs to be thought through or I mean people are doing a lot of that thinking now for sure so then instead you you know maybe you're going through your TV or the little device on your table so there are things there that are going to be interesting to tackle I can say right now one of the big challenges for things like messenger bot or an Alexa skill, which is sort of an app for Alexa, is they're not super easy to find. You know, this there's this whole issue of discoverability. How would you discover that you can, you know, find quartz on Alexa? Uh, that's the that's the old uh, trap of audio online. Is how do you how can you find anything if you how can't? Do you know it. Yeah. If you can't see it with your eyes. Exactly. And and so I'm sure that that will shake out. I don't think that it has happened yet. And I think that in all of this, and there is a lot of, you know, sort of scary talk about the rise of robots and doing all of our jobs. And I think that that's in some industries, especially that that's absolutely true and, and is something that we're going to face as a country and a society and a world. But I think what's also interesting is, especially in journalism and in storytelling, is still the role of humans. And I'm I look no further than the Quartz app. So the Quartz app launched a year and a half ago, and it's very much like a robot texting you. It's not your typical news app. You look at little chat bubbles, and they come up, and you can choose to continue or dig deeper. But it looks like it's like a robot is texting you. The fact is that there are a bunch of people who work really hard to write stories for that medium, and they are really good at it. And that is what makes the app so great. Sure, you might go check it out because it's got this new interface that's not standard around you know, most news apps. But you come back because it's really, really well written, and it's clever, and it's smart, and it makes you smile sometimes uses emoji and animated GIFs, but it's all put together by human hands. And, and that's what makes it so great. So I don't think that the human role in our storytelling and in our information conveyance is going away anytime soon. And in fact, I think that in a lot of situations, it's just essential. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's fun to to think of the Terminators coming, but I, I think there's a, there's like a lot that's going to have to go on before that before that occurs. Hopefully, now if I'm an editor who's looking to bring tools like this into my newsroom, or a reporter who who wants to develop their own their own bots or to enhance their reporting, what would you recommend that they do? I would definitely. Check out what we're doing at bots.qz.com. We're we're talking about what's going on. These conversations are happening at conventions, conferences. I would look into 
checking out the NICAR conference uh, in the spring. There will be a lot of discussion. There's always great discussions about code and information and building things. So there will for sure be more discussion about that. There are some online guides. One of the things that we just sort of put up on our blog few weeks ago was that we have decided to go with a particular chat platform to build our bots in. So it's, you basically write a, some one way or another, you need to write a script for this bot. So you anticipate the actions of the humans or you guide the actions of the humans and then the bot responds in text and pictures in Facebook Messenger or whatever platform. But you have to write that out and you have to sort of figure out what path they're going to take and what different branches they can do. And there are dozens of platforms for that. We settled on one called Dexter, and that's the the workshop I was teaching back at ONA. It's text-based. It's a startup company. Uh, it's pretty neat. And it's the closest one to writing sort of journalism for a bot. It's a lot of the other tools are very point and click, sort of set it and forget it kind of things. We imagine creating new experiences on some sort of regular basis, and we want to be able to write that out. And Dexter allows us to do that. So that's something you can play with for free uh, at a small scale. Uh, like a lot of these services, once they, once you get into a really big audience, then you end up paying a monthly fee for it. But you can experiment for free for sure and wire that up to Facebook or to SMS or other things. So I mean, that's one way to just start experimenting and trying to think about uh, what's possible. Well, that's great, and uh, this has been a great conversation. Lots of lots of neat things to think about, and I'm really looking forward to see what Quartz brings us next and, and what you're going to be doing. Thanks for coming on the podcast, John. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Next time on It's All Journalism. Since then, it's really evolved, and now going on year five to a place where not, it's not only podcasters and independent podcasters, but many professional podcasters and industry professionals. So not even the people talking into the microphones, but your program directors from radio stations that want podcasting or, um, you know, your, your people selling ads on podcasts or your people buying ads on podcasts and really has become kind of representative of the entire podcast industry and ecosystem. Joining me next week are Dan Franks and Jared Easley, the co-founders of Podcast Movement, the largest professional podcasting conference in America. They offer their insight on where the podcasting industry is heading and share what's in store for next year's podcast movement conference. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about digital media. Find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Podcast One. This week's episode was edited by Nicola Grisco. Amber Healy provided our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music, and I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Hey, have you heard? We're having a live event coming Monday, December 11th at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting a live recording of It's All Journalism at the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. The event is co-sponsored by the Association of Alternative News Media, the National Press Club, and the Online News Association's D.C. Meetup Group. So there are going to be lots of journalists there. We're going to be talking about a very big topic for us, the future of the alternative press. If you happen to be in D.C. and you want to find out more about that topic or just come and see us record a podcast, come on by to the National Press Club on Monday, December 11th at 6.30 p.m. You can find out more details about this free event 
at itsalljournalism.com and on our Facebook page. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening. The What's Working in Washington podcast with your host, Jonathan Aberman. We share this region's innovative, entrepreneurial, and creative spirit. This podcast tells impressive stories of passion and spunk taking place here in the D.C. region. It illustrates how the nation's capital is anything but the stuffy, bureaucratic, politics-only reputation it tries to shed. The What's Working in Washington podcast. Find it on iTunes, the Podcast One app, podcastone.com, or at WTOP.com. Search Podcast D.C. The Target USA podcast with your host, J.J. Green. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. That could touch the whole of the United States. ISIS. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to see an attack. This is J.J. Green. Join me each week for the latest on U.S. and international security on Target USA. The Target USA podcast. Find it on iTunes, the Podcast One app, podcastone.com, or at WTOP.com. Search Podcast DC.